0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. By the power of your Holy Spirit, grant the preacher and hearers of your word the ability to perceive the things of God as you have revealed them in your holy word this morning. Lord, we come to you open to hear your word taught and proclaimed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, the assigned New Testament reading for today, the lectionary text from the letter of James, picks up in James chapter 4, verse 7. And so if you want to follow along in your Pew Bible, that's where you need to turn, James chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, remarkably, it comes right off after uh, James chapter 4, verse 6. And that's where we left off last week. So, James is one of my favorite New Testament letters because it could almost be seen as midrash, as a a type of Jewish Bible commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. There are so many points of correlation between Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the book of James that to me it seems as if. James has that in mind as he expounds these things. It's such a practical little letter, and it really deals with matters that we all face in our day-to-day lives. And a particular concern to James in this letter is the concord and unity of the Christian community, the concord, the, the peacefulness, the togetherness, the unity of the Christian community, the church. And we see that concern expressed over and over. We could go to James chapter 3 where he warns about the destructive power of the tongue, of how we speak. In in, uh, James 3 he writes, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Concern with unity and concord in the body of Christ. Likewise, in James chapter three verse sixteen, James warns the church about false wisdom, and we actually heard that read. False wisdom that masks jealousy and selfish ambition. He writes, for where jealousy and in selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, disorder in the body and every vile practice. In James 4, 1 and 2, he addresses the sources of quarrels and fights. You see this as a theme, this desire to, to tend to things that bring disunity to the body. So he says, here's the source of quarrels and fights in the community. What causes this is James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, you murder. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. And then finally, in our reading today, James returns to the destructive power of the tongue in the Christian community. So listen just again to James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James zeros in on what he calls evil speaking as a destructive sin that has no place in the mouths of Christians. And that's what we're going to bore into today, because if we leave it unaddressed, left unaddressed and uncorrected, evil speaking is is a sin that destroys the bonds of love and unravels the very fabric of Christian community. It's a vital topic for us to discuss. But in order for us to understand and then to apply the scripture we read, we need to do some work in defining our terms. And so the phrase, do not speak evil, comes from the Greek verb katolelio, which means uh, means a lot of things. You could translate that verb as to slander, to slander. Now, we think of slander, we think of slander as someone making harmful, false, false statements about another person. But that's not what James James means. In this context, it does not have to be, evil speaking does not have to be a false statement. It can be a true statement, listen, that talks down another person. Evil speaking can be a true statement that talks down another person. So the sense here is, is from James is do not criticize, do not condemn, do not denigrate, do not malign, do not disparage others, others in the body of Christ. But my favorite word used, translated here, is the wonderfully evocative term used by the early English Bible translator, William Tyndall. And he says, he uses the term backbiting, backbiting. Tyndall translates James 4.11, backbite, and he spells bite, B-Y-T-E, backbite, not one another, brethren. Backbite, not one another, brethren. You know, backbiting has always been a problem in the church because we are not insulated from the broader community where it's also a problem. But it is particularly a problem today in our polarized and divided society. We run one another down about political views or how we deal with the pandemic or where we stand on issues of race and justice. And then social media dangerously Turbocharges our ability to commit the sin of evil speaking. Just last Friday, our bishop Steve Breedlove sent out a directive to the clergy. He had to write a directive to me and other clergy. Now, I just want to stop and say, I don't, I'm not on social media. I don't read your stuff. That's why I like you so much. I think you're wonderful. And I because I've not let myself read any of that mess. But just this last Friday, our bishop, Steve Breedlove, sent out a directive to the clergy regarding social media, and he writes this. Sadly, in today's volatile political and ecclesiastical climate, many overheated and uncharitable tweets and posts have come from clergy and laity in our province. Theological and cultural debates have been waged through social media across diocesan boundaries between individuals who have never once actually talked to one another. The language and tone violate biblical injunctions for how to talk to or about one another. Comments and postings regularly move from statements about issues to judgments and verdicts about people with whom the writers will spend eternity. And with that in mind, I am now going to read some of the social media posts that you in this room have written. And I'm going to name you as I do it. No, I'm not. (laughs) I wouldn't, because I don't, first of all, I don't read that mess. But I want you to just think about how you just felt. (laughs) How would you feel if I did, since you publicly put that mess out there? Come and stand publicly in the pulpit and read it to the body of Christ. Would you be embarrassed? Would you feel shame? Probably, in some cases, the answer would be yes. You see, evil speaking verbally or online is a stealthy sin because we often slather our criticisms with supercilious, self-justifying, spiritualized language. That is called preacher alliteration. Slather our sin, our criticisms, with supercilious, self, self-justifying, spiritualized language. We, are, we, in our minds, are the spiritual people who really get it. And it just breaks our hearts to have to criticize those unspiritual Christians who really don't. And thus, John Wesley, revivalist and Anglican minister of the 19, or 18th century, Wrote, evil speaking... He Actually, this is one of his sermons. Evil speaking is the more difficult to be avoided because it frequently attacks us in disguise. We speak thus out of a noble, generous, holy indignation. We commit sin from mere hatred of sin. We serve the devil out of pure zeal for God. It is merely in order to punish the wicked that we run into this wickedness of evil speaking. And then he sums it up by saying that we commit this sin, listen to this phrase, we commit the sin of evil speaking under the veil of holiness. Under the veil of holiness. Now James is very clear about what underlies the sin of evil speaking. When we denigrate or run down another Christian, we are actually saying that we are superior When we're running someone down, denigrating, criticizing, we are saying that we are superior to our brother or sister, superior to the law of God, according to James, and superior to God himself. It is a, so this evil speaking is a colossal failure, not just of love, but of humility, of humility. It is an attitude of altitude, an attitude of altitude, we are placing ourselves above, above. Now, how can James argue this? How can he say the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law? But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What law is he actually thinking about here? Well, he has already revealed what he has in mind, Back in James chapter 2, verse 8, he speaks of this law. He says, if you really fulfill, listen to what he says, James 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So the law commands us to love our neighbors, not to destroy our neighbors verbally, not to condemn our neighbors. And so when we backbite or criticize or condemn, we are placing ourselves, please hear this, this is James think, thinking, we are placing ourselves above the word of the living God, in superior knowledge to the law of God. We are placing ourselves in judgment over the law of God and saying, I know better, God's word is wrong. That's exactly what we're doing. I know better, God got it wrong. I know better, God got it wrong. And if we know better than God's law by granting ourselves permission to criticize and excoriate our brothers and sisters, we are actually placing ourselves in a position superior to the one who is the lawgiver. This is serious sin. This is blasphemy. God alone has the authority to judge, and we are arrogating to ourselves a prerogative that belongs to God alone. Only one can save and destroy. Only one can judge. The terrifying thing, though, is that we don't just presume to judge other Christians singularly, We presume to judge the entire church of God. We condemn and denigrate the Christian community under the veil of holiness when it does not match our personal ideal or dream of the church. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had in mind in his great work on Christian community called Life Together. And Let me just quote from that. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal attentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial the man who fashions a visionary a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by god by others and by himself he enters the community of christians with his demands sets up his own law and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. must be a German idiom, going to smash. I bet he says kaput. I bet this is. So he becomes first an accuser. Listen to how he sums this up. So he becomes first an accuser of the brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. In the face of such arrogance, James writes, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And then this is actually the, the tone of the writing. But you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, with all this said, since Scripture has to interpret Scripture, what do we do with New Testament passages that clearly call the church to challenge and discipline sin when it arises in the the church? Because Jesus himself directly calls us to such action in Matthew chapter 18. Isn't that judging? Well, commentator Douglas Moo helpfully reminds us that James, listen, is not prohibiting the proper and necessary discrimination that every Christian should exercise, nor is he forbidding the right of the community to exclude from its fellowship those it deems to be in flagrant disobedience to the standards of the faith or to determine right or wrong or wrong among its members, 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. James' concern is with, listen, jealous, censorious, I wish I had used that term, censorious speech by which we condemn others as being wrong in the sight of God. It is this sort of judging that Paul condemned among the Roman Christians who were apparently questioning the reality of one another's faith because of differing views of the applicability of some ritual laws. See Romans chapter 14. So how do we deal with this? How do we practically deal with this in our lives as believers and in community? Well, here is the first thing that I remind myself, okay? I may not think my evil speaking or my criticism is a big deal, but ultimately, please listen, I am going to have to give an account to Jesus Christ for every word I speak. Because my critical and condemning words reveal a critical and condemning heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 36. Matthew 12, 34 through 36. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak or tweet. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So Jesus says our heart, our heart is revealed out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. My heart is revealed in my words. You are accountable I am accountable, you and I are accountable for every word we utter or post. That warning from Jesus needs to be the speed bump we go over before we say anything negative about another person or before we post any condemning or criticizing statement on social media about another person or even God's whole church. Now, Jesus' warning is particularly applicable for those of us who are ordained to preach and teach God's Word. And James actually begins his warning about the power of the tongue in James chapter 3, verse 1, when he says this, "'Not many of you, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, "'for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness.'" So with whatever measure the Lord will measure on our words as, as Christians who are, are not teachers— Those of us who are teachers and preachers, we have to meet a higher standard, and I have failed in the past. Here is one very practical rule of thumb. Practical rule of thumb. Do not say or imply anything negative. Don't say, imply, or even ask a question that leads to a negative evaluation of another human being unless they are in front of you to hear and respond to it. That will eliminate almost... Uh, social media will go defunct. It will. By the way, Jesus said, and if your Twitter account causes you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> it's better for you to, to enter into heaven without saying all the right things you have to say than to be cast whole, being right online. End And even even when we do limit it to only speaking it to them where they can respond, hear and respond, we should only speak the truth in love, speak the truth in love. Instead of negative evaluations about our brothers and sisters, we need to pray to God for the the Holy Spirit to pour out grace into our lives, because we can't do this in our own flesh. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit to live out the words of St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is Paul writing to to the church, to you and me even. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace, grace to those who hear. And in the context of saying this, listen to what he writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words... Our words can grieve the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then he finishes with this. And maybe this is a memory verse for me, and maybe it is for you too. Be kind to everyone. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Church, may it be so with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.